Welcome to this week's episode of Education Transformation. In this week's episode, we're listening to part two of the interview with Dr. Lou Mycroft and Dr. Christina Donovan on Trust Matters. So Lee, what were the highlights from part two for you? Well, I think um, there's a lot of content in there. Uh, So within the first 15 minutes, I think we'll hear things about transparent trust. Um, Some of the topics that are covered specifically challenge our written mission statements in regards to we might have these strategic pieces of work within our frameworks of our institutions, but the implementation process is not always as accurate as how they're written. So both Lou and Christina delve into that in great detail. So they'll talk about things like the importance of communities of practice, importance of thinking spaces, ideas rooms, spaces to dance, festival Fridays. It really is a detailed and impactful discussion. Yes, and I think my favourite part is the constellations, but I'm not going to explain. I'm going to leave the listeners to discover that in the coming interview. Well, okay, you're always a star in my eyes. So over the next a few minutes, people will understand why you've referenced constellations. So sit back, relax, find somewhere comfortable and enjoy this fantastic conversation. Within the world of adult education, and when we're talking about adult education institutions, they're often very traditional in their approach. The outlook, a lot of the faculty will be very traditional as well. Management structure is the same. Uh, Not necessarily open to change, but what you're talking about here with regards to transparent trust is, is significant change within a lot of faculty groups. So how has your message been received within, uh, um, you know, adult education communities? I think it's a challenging one because the fact is, Lee, that every single one of these organisations will have a mission statement that speaks to the heart of values. Mm. And yet practice, the practice of those values often leaves something to be desired. And that is enabled by, that rhetoric gap is enabled by the structures, systems, processes, hierarchies that we assume have to be in place. Mm. The, The role of the advanced practitioner in the way that it has been redefined by our co-production research cuts to the heart of that. It doesn't, it sidesteps the traditional industrial relations of us and them. And that's for a whole other conversation. Um, But they're not helping necessarily at the minute, though I'm not saying trade unions don't protect individuals. Um, but that sort of heads butting. Yep. Um, and it sidesteps them by, um, I, I like to think of it as the advanced practitioners provide, they're getting their strength, their ideas, their community, their joy from the outside, from these communities they're involved in. And they take that back through a sort of permeable wall into the institution and create these spaces where change can happen. And often that is literally 
thinking spaces like um, ideas rooms, which is an application of the thinking environment. And I love the metaphor spaces to dance because, I mean, this work has, and as Christina and I have been, you know, around each other now for six or seven years, um, this work has got a genealogy in a series of books that came out starting in 2015 called Further Education and the Twelve Dancing Princesses. And um, those books attempted to turn the idea of, of adult education as the Cinderella service in the UK on its head and give a powerful metaphor. And for years, that was just a metaphor of the princesses escaping their captors every night, going out and dancing till the shoes were in ribbons. And now it feels like it's actually happening. And it's this advanced practitioner role which is providing just enough space, then, you know, most of them are not teaching for 25, 28 hours a week. Most of them have at least a little remission to be able to do some other stuff. And instead of spending that time bringing in an expensive expert to, you know, tell people how to teach, what they're spending that time doing is ideas rooms, thinking spaces, building their own communities within the organisation. I don't know what you think, Christina. Well, I was just nodding. I know you can't see me, but I was (laughs) nodding alongside (laughs) everything that you were saying there. And and I was thinking about this, you know, as as I always do from how how does this speak to organisational trust? How do we, how does what we're doing fit with that very traditional model that that Lee you've spoken to of, of management of organization and I guess that there, there are two different things that come out for me as important if we would want to I guess we're still in the early stages so I guess when you talk Lee about you know how is it being received you know this was we're in that starting that process now of, of how do we do this how do we start you know working with people who may be a bit more resistant to some of these ideas and I'd, and I'd say it's not universally true that everyone is resistant there are there are true. leaders in the sector who are absolutely on board with some of these ideas and um, but to try and break down some of those old hierarchies it makes me think that trust when we don't trust or even our conditions for for wanting to to build trust with others and to build relationships with others it involves us drawing lines so we like to draw lines between who I am who you are who you are to me what team I sit in what role I have we actually feel we take some level of comfort from recognition of our role and our rank and our responsibilities Um, and that helps us to understand who we trust and who we don't trust within an organizational context Mm -hmm. Um, and the problem with that is although despite the comfort that it can bring us, it stops us listening to each other if we perceive that the person who's doing the talking is not speaking to me and I guess my own professional values, my own role, my own rank, my own set of priorities within within the organisation. So we just stop hearing each other because we're so obsessed with where we sit within that hierarchy, within that, that structure. And yeah. so in the act of drawing those lines we actually do start that process of reducing trust and if we let trust in where we can instead look at 
you know, the, the value that someone brings to um, an organization such as an advanced practitioner with this, who has that space to dance, as Lou says, to, to develop their practice, to, to be more creative, to encourage risk positivity within their organization. Letting that trust in is almost a balm. It can yeah. kind of, you know, it's it's a trust can be it's, it's it's a lubricant it can kind of heal wounds if you mm. actually take that leap and it's not a difficult it's not an easy one to take in in some organizations particularly where those ways and practices are, are, are very embedded so i guess the second thing i'm thinking about is that takes requires a huge paradigm shift and it requires a paradigm shift in terms of our understanding of what kinds of knowledge are valuable and whose knowledge is valuable within an organization and that can be very difficult within quite rigid traditional hierarchical structures so part of one of the key findings of our research was that these very often very inflexible hierarchies um, can be a real source of constraint for the advanced practitioner who's trying to bring in um, that really um, innovative way of working that you know allows that those spaces to dance to creep back into the organization um, and that's that's one of the big challenges for me is is how do we you know um, how do we influence these cultures which are still very tied to their organizational structures which are often very hierarchical and often do still continue to take a, a great deal of comfort out of that hierarchy and the, the position they hold within that hierarchy it's worth saying as well, sorry to jump in here, but although um, the co-evaluation research is quite new and obviously there's been a lot of change over the last year, the Advanced Practitioner Project is has been running for three years now. And what's happening is these shining stars, this constellation of brilliant educators are getting recognised, are getting promoted. If they're in an organisation where it's just not fertile, they are able to move on and they're and they're moving up. So, you know, the hope, obviously, I want everything to move faster. But with each year, we have more people in positions who have experienced that balm of trust, of being trusted, as Christina describes it, and who, you know, that assumption that as we rise up, we sell out, that's not, you know, that is not an assumption. People are rising up through the hierarchies and then, working in in trust forward practices um to change the culture of organizations so long may that continue mm-hmm. so if i understand it correctly professional learning please feel free to to respond accordingly both of you but your professional learning and the advanced practitioners they are supporting the co-evaluation process and it's it's an engagement process that is more about community and listening to other people's opinions, which is really, if I if I understand that correctly, that's really important because it affects directly the transfer of, of learning into into practice into the real world. Um, so, in that way, educators are taking on the responsibility for change. Absolutely, absolutely, and sharing their ideas with one another. So we now have, um, and when I say we, because as Christina says, it's really important how we constitute we. So the we in this case are advanced practitioners across the sector, grassroots communities such as the FE Research uh, Community, which is, you know, absolutely from the grassroots up. 
Um, we together are running these Festival Fridays, um, online professional learning. Uh, it'll start with a Joy FE ideas room uh, in the morning. Um, there's a professional learning organisation very much involved with the project and uh, the co-evaluation, which uh, is offering um, sessions where educators try out new professional learning ideas with a group of others, and then other people come in and do workshops. We have reading groups, um, and this started as being part of the AP Connect Advanced Practitioners Project, but now it's out there. It's mm -hmm. out there and the energy of the sector has picked it up and people just trust that if they rock up, they'll learn something. Um, and sometimes, you know, like the ideas rooms, you don't go there just to develop your own idea. You go there to offer the generous gift of your listening to someone else with their idea. And so it's a yeah. real shared experience that through funded projects like AP Connect, we can inject a bit of what do we inject in it? It might be publicity. It might be, you know, just amplifying it. Um, it might be a little bit of money for a face-to-face -face event or, or something like that. But it runs on its own without anyone needing to take ownership. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is And, and Christina, did, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think that from, a, from, from that perspective, the the room or the capacity to be able to drive your own practice um, and, and as part of a collective, which is definitely the, the culture that has been fostered within within AP Connect over, over the years of its, of its existence, is a really powerful way of connecting to our identities and values, which I said, you know, right at the beginning is really important for our be our our well-being, um, yeah. but also our ability to, to, to trust one, one another in our organisations. Yeah. And it's that translation process that I think is going, it, is, is, is just that little bit stickier in some organisations. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it involves a lot, of, a lot more talk, a lot more negotiation around um, what is it that I want to be trusted to do in my work and I think that this is a question that I think has emerged from the project for me that's quite powerful is um, it's not whether or not I'm trusted it's what competencies do I want to be trusted with and I think that the AP Connect program and all of the other projects that have emerged from that the answer is is, is starting to become quite powerful um, from practitioners themselves. And I think that's where the process of rebuilding trust cultures within organisations is, is, is starting to be seen. I don't know if Lou agrees with me on that. I think so. I think it's, I mean, Lee, podcasting in uh, UK adult education, further education has just exploded this year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely um, immense. And that's just one dimension. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And that default setting that organisations had, where, for example, all social media is controlled by the marketing department, it's just about sell. It's only yeah. a few years ago that educators couldn't get permission to have a Twitter account. Yes. Um, yes. You know, so we've moved on so much. And, and that's very hard to challenge. When you are seeing your organisation being really promoted 
you know, perhaps beyond, you know, the reality of the situation by someone who is a member of your staff, who's an ambassador, who mm. is growing in, you know, almost like, um, well, I guess it is a sort of ethical social, social media influencer sort of role. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's very hard to then refuse those ideas back in the organization. Not that people don't try, and there have certainly been things we've learned through the co-evaluation about attempts to shut down the public voices of educators. But it gets more, it, it's difficult enough you sort of know that if you push too hard, that person's going to move on and there are places to move on to now. Educators are starting to see that promotion and career development doesn't have to mean up. It can mean out or it can mean across Mm -hmm. to something else. They're sort of creating new roles. And fundamentally, if you are trying to change things on the basis of values and you argue from that position of values and that organization have got those values written all over their mission statement, you're on a strong platform, aren't you? Mm-hmm. It's quite hard mm-hmm. to then be challenged. Um, well, I don't want to build trust in this organization. We're not about equality. You're not going to hear any managers saying that, even if they think it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. That's um. I, I think I think from an Australian perspective, we're perhaps a fair way behind. <laughs> In that, um, you know, some of those things that you're referencing that you know uh, academics are now allowed to do and etc. Well, we're not necessarily we don't necessarily have that freedom as yet, but perhaps one day. Perhaps one day. Well, it's really interesting. A couple of years ago, um, the end of 2018, I came out to Melbourne at the invitation of Erica Smith to speak at the uh, the Dean's Vet Conference, the ActiveEgg Conference, which maybe some of your listeners will be familiar with, mm-hmm. about the Dancing Princesses movement, mm-hmm. if you like. And I, I you know, I would be really interested. I got the sense of people. You know, people came there from all over Australia and Tasmania and New Zealand as well um, to actually almost soak up the experience of being able to communicate with one another. And I remember Mm. thinking at the time, why aren't you opening up these spaces online? You know, why Mm. are you not coming together in thinking spaces online? So I'd I'd love to know if that has developed at all in the intervening couple of years, because it's a great opportunity. It is, absolutely, absolutely. Community is so important to professional development, in particular breaking down the resistance, I think, um, in relation to academics. Um, You know, we can often be the worst students. Um, So if you can break that down by being willing to just simply ask, what are your thoughts, Um, it can make a huge difference, can't it? Oh, absolutely. You bring equality into the room, equality as thinkers, not the mm. expert telling you how to teach or what yes. to think, yes. you know, want, and, and leaving that role, rank and ego at the door is so important. Yeah. Now, my next question perhaps has already been answered, but let me ask it anyway. Um, within the co-production research model, what has your research been focusing upon? Um, so I'm going to ask that question, but I would like to know more about AP Connect, um, if you've got a moment to share that, uh, both of you. And uh, you've certainly mentioned Festival Fridays, community workshops, ideas, ideas rooms and the like. It sounds fantastic. So um, it's over to you, however you'd like to answer that question. 
Well, Christina, would it be best if I give a bit of a background of AP Connect and then you talk about, you know, the co-evaluation? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, um, three years ago now, uh, the UK government, the Department for Education in England, um, uh, gave uh, some money to a small organisation called Touch Consulting that is runs with... Um, uh, sort of associates rather than a big company to run a professional development program for advanced practitioners and they had invested in some research that said this is what advanced practitioners do and we started off in a very conventional space apart from there was a little bit of money that um was designated for a community of practice. And I was invited in to, um, with, with my colleague Poonam Kosler to actually develop this community of practice space. And that's the bit which has grown and grown and grown because mm. that has been the shift in professional learning from expert-led CPD. There's still a place for that. Yep. But it was everything before and very expensive yep. and not always up to date. Um, you would get the same people yep. peddling the same ideas and the shift from that to this communities, we call it now constellations of practice. Um, I don't know if you know the writer Rebecca Solnit. I love her. And she says the stars we are given but the constellations we make. And so AP Connect now is one project. It's a funded project, but it operates on a level playing field with the grassroots projects working with wherever possible. It operates out of a Slack online space where um, last year we had 100 advanced practitioners, 50 of them on a program which was sort of a bit more conventional online learning what is it to be an advanced practitioner that will change this year this next year if we get a fourth year in the light of the co-evaluation but also getting people together in thinking spaces in order to develop their own ideas the other 50 had been on the program before and they are the ones who have taken um advanced practice but it's not it's so much more than that professional learning this constellation base into the stratosphere really because their job was to amplify their own work and amplify the work of others so here are the podcasts the videos the vlogs yes. the you know all of that and and loads of um publications in our professional journals as well mm-hmm. um really sort of visible in the sector so the voice has Uh, has been amplified we're hoping Mm. to get a fourth year of the project which will be very much um, influenced by the findings of the co-evaluation and in which the co-evaluation will um, will continue as well because as the world changes we need to change and today in uh, Westminster there it's the Queen's speech which sets out the um you know the government's work plan for the mm-hmm. next year mm-hmm. and further education in its narrow sort of adult skills sense is a big feature in that. So this is an opportunity mm-hmm. and a time and a place at the minute for um all of the constellations to really pack some punch. Over yeah. to you, Christina. Yeah, thanks, Lou. Um it's really interesting to hear the context because I, I kind of was brought into to AP Connect in its third year, so I haven't had the um, the the insight of the previous three years of the program. But um, as part of you know the third year of the AP Connect program, 
um, there was a, an internal evaluation strand kind of designed into um, this year's programme so that there could be that qualitative, meaningful uh, evaluation of the impact that this programme was having upon uh, the practice of advanced practitioners and their experience of trying to take these ideas back into their to their organisations. Mm. And because it, it is by design such a, um, a community and collaborative approach, it made sense to design in those principles of co-production to the evaluation model as well. So we did a call for volunteers from um, the participants who were involved with the, with the co-evaluation programme um, and we ended up with a small group um, of advanced practitioners who were based in a range of adult education contexts. So from your big general further education colleges through to um, adult learning uh, in the local authority. So we got a real sense of the range of um, experiences of practice that these advanced practitioners were, were, were based in in their contexts. But also because of the nature of co-production, um, Lou, as the lead of the Constellations of Practice programme, as well as um, the facilitators who were supporting her to, to work with the advanced practitioners were part of that process as well, as well as um, myself and uh, the lovely Colin Forrest, who were, who were kind of co-led the, the, the research design and framework alongside me as well. Yeah. So over the period of maybe the, the six months or so of the project, um, we implemented this research circle approach. So essentially, um, we had four intentional circle spaces at which the, the 12 of us met um, to, for, to, 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 first of all, design and, and to develop the values that were going to underpin the research to establish the the design of the research, the question that we were that was going to guide the research, as well as all the way through to data collection, to co-analysis, and now we're at the dissemination dissemination stage of of, of that research. Hmm. And as a result of that collective conversation, um, the aspiration for um, for the, the 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 team, I guess, was to um, think about how the communities of practice strand or the constellations of practice strand of the AP Connect program supported APs to become affirmative change agents in their own contexts. So that was an acknowledgement of quite a, a long conversation that we had about how agentic APs currently felt in their contexts and how they felt that the AP Connect program might support them to develop their skills to become to have a greater influence and to drive change um, within their context. So we, we knew that it was important for them, to, to for the programme, to allow them to build the skills in order to, to, to kind of influence that positive culture change. Um, and over the course of the project, uh, what we found was that the AP Connect programme instilled a set of values that allowed APs to come together in, in all the ways that we've been discussing, you know, over the last hour or so um, uh, in within the constellations of practice and that those constellations gave them ideas, it, it fueled them with creativity, it led to particular impulses to, um, to change things within their own institutional contexts, but um, their position within their organizations often 
um, determine the extent to which they felt their influence being spread within that organizational role. So what we found was that we, we had this great deal of innovation, creativity, community um, being expressed within the constellations. But when the AP went back to their organizations to try and affect change, they have experienced various levels of, of success when they mm -hmm. got back to their organizations, depending on the, the culture that was there, but also the role that the AP occupied, the advanced practitioner occupied within, within yep. their institutions. And often the idea of the advanced practitioner, which, you know, that the word advanced became a point of, of contention um, that a, advanced practitioners didn't necessarily view themselves as experts, but they were being positioned as experts within mm -hmm. their organizations. What we felt more comfortable with was the idea of that advanced practitioners through engagement with this work with the with the AP Connect program is they became critical theorists and um, they saw themselves as innovators who were learning alongside the teachers that they were working with within their organizations and so what they felt they needed was the space the flexibility and the agency to be able to um, work in such a way that allowed them to bring that creativity back into their organization to feel that they were um, that they were having that impact and what they found was actually to be seen as an expert was a barrier it was a barrier to trust building mm -hmm. both um, up and down the, the hierarchy wherever they sat within that hierarchical structure so the work of the program hopefully going into year four is to think about how an AP Connect should, sorry, and how an advanced practitioner should be um, positioned within an institution, uh, whether there is an appropriate position for them to occupy within within their organisations, and how we build in um, that flexibility to allow APs to really experience um, agency within within their context. And we think that part of that process is around embedding in values based practice. Um, within organizations and within the program um, that allows uh, APs to feel authentic and to um, take on a greater level of autonomy within their roles. Um, and actually, the, the AP Connect program itself is a really important point for knowledge exchange. Um, so it's essential to their role that APs are outward facing in terms of connecting with the wider community. Um, of educators to develop their, their knowledge and practice, but also to have the skills that they need to go back into their organizations to um, to kind of widen the reach of their influence um, in terms of their, their advanced practice role. Mm -hmm. So have you got any thoughts on a alternative title rather than the word advanced? I'm going to hand over to Lou on that, I think. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> well, um, there's a real feel for action practitioners. That's uh, um, a good one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we liked activist practitioners, but I don't think the sector's going to suck that up somehow. <laughs> um, but, uh, but action practitioners has got that sense of motion and, yeah. uh, you know, that forward-facing trust being a forward-facing practice. Um, one of the things that, um, you know, in any year four will be influenced by the findings of this, of course. And one of the things that I'm really keen to do and that we do informally is um, work with 
action practitioners on their um on their influence skills you know be really yep. uh, uh, uh intentional about this uh we look at this um word power in english we only have the one word for it but in latin in french in other languages there are two words for power and there's that sort of hierarchical power as usual but there's this activist power that um, advanced practitioners have and mm. that is influence versus status we can look at it in terms of the social media influence but influencing through the organization. And um, the co-evaluation came up with a, a really beautiful and detailed um, visual model for advanced practice, which um, has got lots of great things about it. But one of the things is um, the hierarchy, the organization is presented as a sort of, you know, abstract Christmas tree. And what advanced practice at the minute does is it puts the lights on that Christmas tree so it's often the nuggets of really exciting stuff that's going on within the organization at the minute what happens in a lot of places is the lights get switched off the organization hasn't been you know is exactly the same the tree remains the same so how can advanced practice start to actually work on the culture of the tree how can yep. those lights yep. become an integral part of it and they don't just stop when there's a reorganization or somebody moves on? Yeah, 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 yeah. Always a challenge, always a mm -hmm. challenge. Uh, Lou, um, I've heard you reference the importance of self-care um, and, and importantly, further that, collective care. So what steps should be initiated to develop collective care? care within faculty groups? Um, being explicit about the practice of care is incredibly important. I, I don't know how it was there for you guys, Lee, but when the lockdown started, the words that were everywhere were community and care. Um, immediately, we started practices of asking, how are you? And, and mm -hmm. then listening to the answer. We signed off every email with take care, stay safe, you would say yep. here in the yep. UK. And, you know, to some extent, those practices have continued and we need to keep them going. So um, it's been interesting that we've been looking at uh, potentially um, uh, designing a year four at the minute and, we kept saying, where does, you know, where we want a well-being focus, we want a collective care focus, where does it fit? Well, of course, it fits everywhere. So it's about those practices infusing every decision. And that's about holding one another to account. Um, so, you know, when I design this, how do I design this curriculum in a practice of care? How do we design this professional learning in a practice of care? And doing it collectively within safe thinking environments where everyone has a voice, where everyone is equal as a thinker, is in itself a practice of care. So it's integral. Mm -hmm. yep. Self-care is, of course, incredibly important. Too much is made of it, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, again, about in other countries, but certainly in the UK, the UK has been a, a has become a very individualised place over the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. So you are responsible for being resilient no matter what life throws at you. You are responsible for, you know, for your own self-care. 
and it has a limit and one mm. of its limits is a sort of toxic positivity you know like yeah. the lego movie everybody everything is awesome you know yeah. everybody's happy well that's not the case so mm. one of the ways in which we can practice collective care is in these trusting environments where we can be open about the problems that we face and enjoy fe which of course is connected you can't separate these things and nor should you we say that we are critically affirmative we are not cynical and there's something about the collective care practices which are which are critically affirmative we we call it out we support one another to call it out we support one another to take time out for self-care as well but we're not cynical and that Mm. feels really important and the articulation of the practice and the practice itself are the things that make it be a practice of care I hope I've been clear there I'm getting Mm. a bit meta Mm. (laughs) that's 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 lovely that's lovely that's important this has been a great conversation, uh, yeah. and, and uh, we've really appreciate. I've appreciated uh, both of your inputs, um, and so I'm going to ask both of you this question. Perhaps, Christina, if I ask you first, if you could express one message of encouragement to our educators listening in, what would you say? I would say that something that I learned as a result of finishing my own PhD research, but something I'm continuing to learn as we're, as I'm involved with this AP Connect program is that culture change is absolutely possible. Um, And if I echo what Lou's just been talking about, the, the how are you question, often we expect within some cultures, we expect the answer to be a particular thing, or we we expect the answer to, to have a particular response. If we were to build in a true ethics of care and we were to build in true trust cultures into our organisations, we would be able to be completely honest about what the answer to that question is. So for me, it's not enough to have that toxic positivity, that well-being for well-being's sake, that individualised understanding of what being resilient is uh, within our profession. It's about having those open and honest conversations which Mm -hmm. makes us vulnerable and trust building does make us vulnerable, but it is possible. And I think that that is something that I've learned over the course of this project in a very visceral way is that these things, we shouldn't wait for these things to happen from above. These are things that we can drive um, from below, I guess, if if we think hierarchically, is something that we can drive from the grassroots um, and it's something that we can start now. I'm not saying that it's easy because we do work in spaces where we are encouraged to be invulnerable. But if we can embrace actually the the power that being vulnerable brings, then we can really start to change cultures in a really positive way. Mm, moving forward, that's right. Uh, yeah. What about yourself, Luke? Well, that was beautiful, Christina. Mm. And, and, mm. and I will extend that by saying... None of this is pink and fluffy. So if you've got that in your minds, let it go, anybody listening. This is if these practices are efficient. I know Christina re- referred to that before. So my message for you is it's the easiest thing in the world now, even across time zones, to get yourselves into a thinking space mm. and devote some time to thinking together. It 
if once you start investing in that, everything else is so much more efficiently done that you've taken that time to save time. And um, joyful practice isn't easy. It is graft. It's affirmative, moving, affective, and it is graft. But mm. these spaces seem to me and seem to us and the co-evaluation circles were just one example of this, to be the place where you pause with others and figure out what you're going to do next. And that means you're not thrashing around out there trying to do that. And um, Joy FE run two completely free um, ideas rooms, we call them, thinking spaces. One is at um, 8 p.m. GMT on a Wednesday. So that is Thursday morning, isn't it, at your side of the world, Lee? And the other mm-hmm. is 9 a.m. GMT Friday morning. So that's Friday evening at your side of the world. Anybody is welcome to come along and just at Lou Mycroft on Twitter for the link. And, and you'll, you can experience there a process which I think could be really quietly revolutionary. Yeah, fantastic. That's great. Um, if you'd like to forward me that link, um, perhaps we can pop it into our show notes and uh, and promote that accordingly. Um, that would be quite valuable, yes. Um, you probably are not aware of this, but I run uh, communities of practice in the Pacific. I work in a very small nation called Kiribati. Uh, when we were able to fly in and out. I've been doing that since 2017. Um, And at the moment, I'm doing some remote work with those faculty groups with two large training institutions. Uh, And so I have written reams and reams of information down to keep me informed of uh, enhancing my own practice. So thank you so much. I've got notes associated with research circles I've got notes associated with trust as forward-facing, trust as a leap of hope, um, ideas rooms, spaces to dance, so much information in this podcast. So, And I've done an enormous amount of head nodding, which you can't see, but uh, (laughs) I can assure you it's been taking place. So I'd really like to thank both Christina and Lou for taking the time to share your wisdom and your practical experience. It's been really a wonderful experience. So thank you. Thank you. It's been absolutely joyful. Yeah, I've loved it. Thanks so much. It's been a great conversation. Now, Lee, I'm not sure our listeners are aware, but we actually offer services to create communities of practice. We do, Kate. Leading on from uh, what Christina and Lou have just been speaking about, so we offer all sorts of support, really, don't we? Uh, And it's been undertaken for a number of years now. Yeah. So online, in person, or we can even assist you to develop your own communities of practice. That's right. We have the curriculum or we can develop curriculum for you. Um, As you said, we can facilitate it or we can uh, support your faculty to facilitate their own process. So if you're looking to develop yourself or your faculty, use the skills you already have in in your team, then Communities of Practice is a great method of professional development. If you'd like to learn more about Communities of Practice and the services we offer, visit www.transformationconsultancy.com.